Before we begin, I'd love to pray again, so please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we would like to hear from you this morning, and we ask that you might make the scriptures plain to us, that you might help us to see what you want us to see, that the Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts, transforming them, renewing them, causing us to value the things that you value to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. We want to be more like you. And we ask that you will bless us in this way um, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 42. And If you have your Bibles, it's worth opening them on your phone or a physical Bible to that passage. You'll find that helpful, I believe. Over Easter, we looked at Jesus' death and resurrection. And this week, we'll be looking at His second coming, His return to earth. What that looks like and what, what that means for us. In my last church... There was, there was a pastor named Josh Denali. He actually lives only 10 minutes down the road. And he had, he had this saying that he would say over and over and over again, and it was really influential in my life. Um, and it, it really affected my thinking. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that it affected the thinking of everyone else in that church. Here's what he said. And it really is it's profound. We do what we do based on what we believe to be true. We do what we do based on what we believe to be true. Um, About ourselves, about the world around us, um, about God, about whatever. We do what we do based on what we believe to be true, on a deep, deep level. So so here's a real-world example of that happening. I was reading earlier this week about how Italy had joined the Belt and Road Initiative, which is China's big kind of foreign policy push. And it's mostly tying countries to China economically, but also there's, um, it's tying them closer together with uh, kind of bonds of friendship, diplomatic co- connections. And Italy clearly believes they're the first uh, kind of big G7 country to join this Chinese foreign policy initiative. And Italy clearly believes that the future is a little bit more Chinese, or probably quite a lot more Chinese. And so that's why they decided to establish this connection with China. Based on their belief that um, if they are better friends with China, they as a country will be better off. Um, But but this is also clearly true in our own lives. Uh, You may be faced with a choice to buy a Ford or a Toyota, and uh, you believe without a shadow of a doubt, as you should, that the Toyota will last longer. And so, based on your belief, you will buy a Toyota instead of a Ford. Or maybe you believe that a Ford has more prestige associated with it. And you will be more prestigious. In the, or whatever your, whatever your reason is, you will make a car choice based on what you believe to be true. Or you will choose to move to another country. You'll choose to move to Australia or to Europe based on what you believe to be true. I'll be better off in this country or I'd, I'd, rec- I'd, ha- I'd be joyful if I was in this place or that place. 
Or maybe you have a choice between an iPhone and an Android phone. And you're confident that the iPhone people will look after your data. You'll be more private, more secure if you have an iPhone. So based on that belief, you will go and you'll buy an iPhone. We do what we do based on what we believe to be true about, about everything, about, but especially about the world. And in this passage, Jesus explains to us part of the end of history. The end of history as we know it, at least. He's giving us an insight into future events, and he's doing this because he wants us to live in light of that truth. Live in light of the reality to come. Jesus is going to return in power and in glory, and he will judge everyone, like like we read in our passage And he's giving us the answer to the test, right? He's telling us how the future will turn out. So all we need to know is kind of just show our work, right? We know the answer. It's not, we're no longer even risking anything because we know the answer. We know how this phase of history will end. We don't live meaningless lives. What we do does matter. At last, it has eternal ramifications. Our lives have meaning. And if we're smart, we will act as if that was true. We will act on that belief. It's worth noting that um, this particular section of Jesus' teaching is one in a series of parables. And it's a direct response to the question that the disciples have asked in chapter 24, verse 3, where they've asked him, chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately, him being Jesus, and they said, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of of your coming and of the close of the age. So the disciples have gone and go, how will the story end? Because that affects how they're going to choose to live, right? If Jesus is, if Jesus is going to be defeated by, uh, by death, he's never going to return, and his followers will just die, then maybe the disciples will go, well, maybe we don't want to be your disciples anymore. They're asking this question. It's a deep question. How will, the fu- how will history end? Are we on the right side? And, and this parable, or this prophecy that Jesus gives us in chapter 25, is a bit of teaching that Jesus is giving the disciples, but also us, who are also his disciples, in response to that question. How will it end? Let's look at the first couple of verses together, starting in verse 31. We read, Jesus says, When the Son of Man, referring to himself, comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will be seated on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's a sign that you 
read the Bible, listen to the Bible every day. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> we should all be listening to the Bible. Jesus is coming back in glory and in power. That's the truth. The Bible says it right here. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a Savior who will only exist in heaven. We don't serve a Savior who was defeated. We serve a victorious Lord. Jesus is coming back in power. We serve a victorious an amazing, a powerful God, and we will, furthermore, we will be judged by this God and by this amazing being. Jesus is coming back and he will judge the living and the dead. There's no escape, right? The living and the dead. So if we die before he comes back, we're still going to be judged. We read on in verse 33, um, he will place the, the sheep on his right, but the goats, they'll be on his left, right? Sheep and goats, that's a metaphor. And then, in verse 34, we read, Then the king. And that's actually, um, in my Bible, and in other translations that I looked at, that's a capital K king. Just have a glance at your Bible. See if it's capital K. Um, Jesus is the king of kings, the ultimate king, the Lord over everything. That is our Savior, the one we serve, the one who loves us. That capital K king will say to those on his right, the sheep, referring to his disciples, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. These people, these people on his right, these sheep, That's us he's referring to, the people who are his followers. They're blessed by the Father. And it's not because of their own merit, right? It's because God has poured out his blessing on them. It's because God showed himself and his his son to them. As as it says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. He demonstrated that by sending His only Son to die a gruesome death to pay the price of our sin, to pay the price of the sin on behalf of all who will love Him. God is the one who gives us, His people, a love for Him. And furthermore, we read, God has prepared from before the foundation of the world, right? Before Adam, before Noah, before Abraham, before any of those. God is prepared before the world existed. He has prepared a place for us, for His people, a kingdom for His people to inherit. That's glory, and that's us, if we are true disciples of Jesus. God has prepared a place for us in the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that will not end. In paradise, He calls it. In the place of eternal bliss, where there will never be a tear. Because there there will never be a need for real sadness. God knows us. He knew us before we were born. 
God chose us and He welcomes us into His kingdom, the kingdom that He has prepared for each, each of us, His, His disciples, ahead of time, from before, before the foundation of the world. How loved are we? It's exciting and it, and it kind of changes the calculation. Right? It changes what we believe to be true about the world from what everyone out there believes to be true about the world. Because we know our eternal destiny. We know where we're headed. And that changes the now. When we know who we are in our Creator's eyes. And then we read, Jesus begins to give kind of reasons why these people will inherit the kingdom that God has been preparing for them since before the dawn of time. He says, starting in verse 35, this is Jesus talking, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then these righteous people, they answer him, and they go, When? When when did we do any of this stuff? When did we see you sick or in prison or any of these other things and minister to you? And then in verse 40, the, the king, again, a, a capital K, king, Matthew is emphasizing, and Jesus himself is emphasizing, he is the Lord. And when he comes back a second time, he will be reigning in power, not just spiritual power, but physical power over the world. He will be manifesting his physical power, which he already has. And then the king will answer them, and he will say to them, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. One of the least of these, my brothers. Who is that, right? Well, elsewhere, in the same book, the book of Matthew, in chapter 12, verse 50, we actually see Jesus define the term, my brothers. So we'll jump back there really quickly, just to Matthew 12.50, which says, Jesus, Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's his terms. One of the least of these, my brothers, is someone who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's a fellow disciple. It's a member of our eternal spiritual family. We're adopted into his family. We become co-heirs with Christ. When you're an orphan, which I'm not, but I've read many a book about orphans, often you just wish that you could be adopted into an amazing family. And even, even children with amazing families sometimes wish that they could be adopted into an even better family. <laughs> um probably their mistake and probably they have an amazing family 
But each of us here who does the will of God, the will of the Father in heaven, is adopted into God's family. The most amazing, truly, actually, the most amazing family. And there are ramifications for that, if you believe that to be true. And when we're in God's eternal family, of course we'll be doing all of these different kinds of things for our brothers and for our sisters. We know from verse 38 and 39 that these people on his right, these sheep, they weren't doing things in search for a reward. They, they said, what? We, when, did we, when did we do any of this for you? But they were doing it based out of love for their spiritual eternal family. It's real evidence that they aren't trying to get saved by their works, but they're instead being transformed by the love of God for their family, which just pours out of them. And then this story, this future, this true story, takes a more sad We read that he turns to those on his left and he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A place of torment, a terrible place, a terrible fate. really taking a turn for the tragic. It's worth noting that this is the eternal fire. This is the eternal suffering. This is not a temporary thing. This is eternal destruction. Which is sad. This is tragic. This this hurts our Father in Heaven and this should hurt us also. Jesus continues, Hungry gave me no food, thirsty gave me no drink, stranger no welcome, naked no clothing, prisoner no visit. And they said to him, they answer in verse 44, Lord, they recognize him for who he truly is at this stage. They go, Lord. And And then they try and kind of weasel their way out of it. This is a terrible thing. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them and say to them, in verse 40, uh, not verse 40, in verse 45, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away, we read in verse 46, into the eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. This 
is the truth. You do what you do based on what you believe to be true. This is the truth. The Bible, Jesus, says that there are two places that you may end up. Paradise with God forever or eternal suffering, eternal punishment. This is the ultimate truth of the matter. It's really important that we remember at this moment that the people that get to go to the eternal paradise, they're not saved purely because of their actions, but because of what their actions demonstrate, what their actions reveal about their hearts. If you jump over with me to James chapter 2, verse 14... Um, James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And he continues talking about the fact that true faith results in action. You can see the fruit of it in a person's life. If someone has real, true, saving faith, it will change the way that they live. Of course They will change their actions based on what they believe to be true. You can't just have an intellectual faith. There's also the danger in this passage that will say, well, clearly, Jesus is instructing us to show uh, love and kindness and, and care towards our eternal spiritual family. But everyone else, we can just ignore them. That's a real danger. People have done that in the past. And that, that's not true, that, that belief. If we jump over again, doing a lot of jumping really, aren't we? Back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We read, um, and this is Jesus talking again, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we mustn't ignore those outside the family. This passage is talking specifically about those inside the family. But it is also true that we should be loving those outside of our eternal spiritual family. God wants us to be the people of love. People just overflowing with love. Like a gushing fountain. When they, when they strike oil, sometimes it just pours into the air not pours, bursts into the air. It goes everywhere. That's how we should be with love. And he especially wants us to value his family, each other, in a real meaningful way, a way that changes our life. He He says that he will count if we show kindness towards a brother or sister in need, if we give them food when they're hungry or if we invite them over when they're lonely we give them a place to stay when they have nowhere else, he will count that as if it was done to himself. 
or to his own son, to Jesus. And these um, fellow disciples, these brothers and sisters of ours, these people that we're blessing, they are in the family. They are Jesus' brothers and sisters. Right? They're adopted, they're, they are our adopted siblings. They are God's children, and He values them. He values you, and He values me. We are adopted into His eternal family, and we need to value each other. We, we are the spiritual family, the family that will last forever, the most real family in light of eternity. We need to treasure each other. We need to be the people of love, pouring out love on each other. First and, first and foremost on each other, but also on those outside, their meet, the, outside the family. Even on our enemies. We should be the people defined by compassion, based on what we believe to be true about reality. Yes, based on the fact that our Heavenly Father is pleased when we do so, but especially because when we see the world, we see it with His eyes. We remember that that this is temporary, and we prize the eternal. So in closing, I'd like to offer you a challenge um, to think about in your own mind today as you drive home and, and during the week. Really, it's two questions. The challenge is to think about them. What do you believe to be true about the world? Do you believe the Apostles' Creed? We sang, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this other thing. What do you actually believe to be true about the world? And do your actions testify to that? Do your actions reveal that to be your true belief? Do you value and rejoice and celebrate your eternal spiritual family? Are you a person marked by compassion, marked by love? Do you love your family? Do you invite people over for a meal? Do you care for the lonely? Are you willing to help out your brother who is going through a rough time? Are you willing to help, help your neighbor who's not even, not even a Christian, but who's too old to mow their lawn? Are you marked by compassion? Are you marked by love? None of us are perfect. All of us will fall short. But this should be our desire. This should be our goal as members of the family of God. We have the joy of being the people of, of love and of compassion because we aren't trapped into thinking that the world is all that it is. So we need to, we need to suck everything out of it right now because there's nothing else. We don't, we, we don't exist in that trap. We're freed from that because of the kindness that God has shown us. We can extend that same kindness to others because we believe in the ultimate kingship of our king. And we believe that we get, we get to exist in paradise forever. No longer motivated by the here and now, we can afford to pour out our love on those around us. Indeed, we're commanded to, we're told to. 
What a blessed group of people we are. Our Lord and our King, Jesus Christ, is coming back in glory and power with the angels around Him sitting on a glorious throne. He has won the battle already, and we get to be associated with Him and participate in that victory. We get to share in the spoils. Are we living lives that are consistent with that belief? We are the sheep, not the goats. Jesus has won the battle on our behalf. We aren't saved because of our actions. We are saved by the sacrifice, by the blood of Jesus that he, that he shed for us on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He wasn't defeated by death or by Satan. We serve a victorious king who has not only done everything needed to bring us into his kingdom, but who will also reward us for being in his kingdom, for being his people. We are crazy blessed. And finally, if you're not currently... If you're, not, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, if you're currently fallen the goat category, you don't serve Jesus. If you, died to, if you knew that you, if you died today, um, you would end up on Jesus' left-hand side in the day of judgment. I encourage you, please consider your state. Repent. And, and that, that means turn to Jesus and accept Him as the capital K, King of your life. He is a good and He's a compassionate and loving King. He is glorious and powerful, but He's also um, loving and willing to accept any who turn to Him. So I urge you, if this is in your mind, if you're thinking about it, speak with me or speak with Eugene or, or, or the person that you came to church with. Your life matters. It, it will affect your eternal destiny, how you live now. None of us here are sinless. All of us constantly fall short of God's standard. But by the blood of Jesus, we are washed and saved from the, from the fate of the goats. And you can be too. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, none of us wants to be in the place of eternal punishment and all of us want to be in the place of eternal paradise, eternal bliss with you. And we ask that that might be true for each person here this morning, that we might be able to have reunions all the way into eternity, every million years. We ask that you will give us your love and your compassion for the people around us. It's often really hard to love them, and we need your help for that. We especially pray that you will help us to see the world with your eyes, that, we will help, that you will help us to see our adopted family as our true family. 
We ask that you'll give us your love to love them with. In Jesus' name, amen. In a minute,